Welcome to another edition of the Gary Anderson F1 Show, where we're joined by the former Jordan and Jaguar technical director himself to talk about all things Formula One. Uh, now, today in this episode, we're going to look back a little bit and look at one specific season, the 1997 season, when, of course, Gary was the technical director of Jordan, a very successful uh, season for that team, one where probably you'd argue they, they broke through, and it was the point where that team really set itself up for, uh, for winning uh, a year later. Uh, I'm Ed Straw, your host as always, and, uh, and joining me is uh, is Gary Anderson. Now, now Gary, what, in terms of, uh, of of filling your time, you talk about last week about the uh, your construction project, but a lot, a lot of us have been re- reviewing old races and going. Do, do you ever sort of look back at old races or things on YouTube of of good days or things you remember when you when you have a quiet moment? Um, yeah, you do. I mean, you, I've got a sort of magazines for from Doomsday, really. I suppose from when I started in Formula One. Uh, sometimes leaf through them mainly do a little bit of research for for things like this but um i, I don't know it's just it's just difficult to look back because you you sort of you, you do it with tinted eyes or tinted glasses i suppose and and that's really wrong i rather remember what i remember out of it at the point in time rather than trying to refresh my mind from from reading it again and thinking oh yeah that's, oh yeah i remember that now so i think you remember the good parts uh, 97 was a, a year that you know, was a decent year for Jordan. Um, 94 was another year, and 91, obviously. Those three years are the three years that stand out for me, and they're the three years that I sort of felt that I put 100% into the car. wasn't involved in other stuff that takes away your effort and your time and your focus. Um, and, it, you know, it's hard to say that because, you know, the, every year should be the same. You should be putting 100% effort into it, but things change, you know, engine manufacturers, engine suppliers, and that change, and it makes it more difficult. So you can always find reasons if you look back through time at those races, and you can see reasons for everything being right or being wrong. But um, you've got to get yourself as a team, you should get yourself to be consistent. And uh, that that's that was very important. We never quite achieved that, I suppose. Today's opening question comes from Samuel Gomez. This is a non-Jordan 197-related uh, question, which is uh, just saying, listen to your podcast. I'm a huge MotoGP fan as well, but also like F1. And it says, it's great with F1 is that the races are too long. Should F1 have shorter races, a bit more close to the MotoGP length, which are still lengthy enough to be kind of proper races, but not uh, not excessively long. So would you go, would you go, um, yeah, would you go shorter? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big MotoGP fan and World Superbike fan as well, to be honest. I, you know, I think it's great racing, those, those two. Um, Formula One for me, yes, I think that the race is a bit too long. I mean, there is, if you took the average audience attention span, um, I think they'll, they'll stick in there for you know, 10, 15 laps at the beginning pretty well. And they'll come back to sort of try and find out about the last 10 or 15 laps or whatever it be. Um so you you have got a lull in the middle of everything, and especially now whenever there's really there is no refueling, there's nothing there that's the unknown. You know, when one car pits for tires, another car is going to pit for tires or whatever. They're going to you know counteract each other as such somehow. Um, so there is this lull in the middle. How big that lull is, I'm not quite sure. You know, whether it needs to be ten percent shorter, twenty percent shorter. I'd like to see it more more of a, a sprint, so you can drive the wheels of the car. So you maybe you have to do at least one stop, something like that, because it does allow you to do a different tyre solution to somebody else. Um, but at the minute, it's too much. I believe you, you get out the front, you know, take a typical day where you've got Lewis Hamilton on pole, Valtteri Bottas maybe you know, second or whatever, the Ferraris and the Red Bulls mixed up there. But once it all starts and gets to lap 10, 
it usually falls into a bit of a procession. Um, and then unless something happens during the tyre strategy, uh, it, that's the way it's going to be, really, to be honest. So I think we need to get it to a point where you, it is a bit more of a sprint than a, than a marathon. And um, that would be about shortening the races. Now, maybe we'll be forced to do that because of the way things are going at the moment. Uh, you know, fit more races into a weekend. Maybe we'll have to have double headers, you know, two races that weekend. I don't know what it'll be. I have no idea. But shortening the races in my book would not be would not be wrong. And I think it would keep it more cliff face and more more exciting. Well, thanks for that uh, that opening question. If you do have an opening question for for Gary, feel free to tweet us at, at We Are the Race or send a tweet to Gary at Gary Anderson F one or to myself at Ed Straw F one, and we may select it for uh, for the for the opening question for Gary. We will occasionally uh, return to doing the uh, the the podcast where it's just a series of, of questions, but we won't do that uh, all the time. But we still wanted to make sure we had uh, the opportunity to to throw some questions at Gary. So let's go back to ninety seven and just to set the scene for everyone. This is when Williams Runner is in its pomp. Uh, Damon Hill, obviously, reigning world champion at Arrows. You had a Ferrari that was still kind of pulling itself out of the doldrums in the Michael Schumacher era. Had won a few races the year before, but still some way off being the powerhouse it would become. And it's Formula One just before the, the groove tyres came in and the cars got made a narrow track. Uh, and yeah, very much, uh, yeah, it feels a long time ago now, even though it wasn't wasn't really that long ago. But But the Jordan scene, Went into the season, what would have been your third season with the works Peugeot engines. Two young drivers in Giancarlo Fisichella who had a handful of races for Minardi under his belt and Ralph Schumacher who was champion in Formula Nippon, now uh, Super Formula. He was making his first uh, foray into Formula One. You mentioned before that this is one of those cars that you were really able to control because you weren't relayed with other things and you got that Peugeot relationship really right. So were those the preconditions that allowed the Jordan 197 to be a pretty handy car right from the off? Yeah, it was. Um, and it was it was pressure within the company as well because 95 we changed to Peugeot and obviously Peugeot's expectations were were very high. Um, they had just been sort of dumped unceremoniously by by, Mercedes, by McLaren. And through the McLaren relationship, you know, we got the engine, which was obviously very important for us because it came, it came with money. It came you know, free of charge but with money. Uh, so 1995 was a was a building year, just getting to know them a bit. And there was lots and lots of problems with the engine, I have to say. Massive amount of problems. Um, but they had a you know bigger workforce than Brian Hart. They had you know, well 10 times the budget, probably. Um, so 96 was a sort of, uh, I don't know, I suppose a, a consolidating year just to try and get everything working together properly. Um and it, it was it was okay, but the car wasn't as good as it should have been by any means. Uh, Martin Brundle and um, and Rubens, you know, they were quite different drivers. All the keys in the car, you know, performed fairly well, but it wasn't there. So I got a fair amount of pressure then to sort of try to come up with something that was um, that was better. And I I spat my dummy and said, look, you know, I, I will do, but I don't want to be you know interfered with. I want to get on with the job. I'm going to devote my time to it. And, and just you know, basically build as good a car as I know how to do for 1997, and everybody sort of bought into that fight and let me get on with it. And from from the beginning, I suppose you could say it 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 responded well. The concept and the, and the wind tunnel work, and I did every wind tunnel test. Um, you know, it was one of those sort of things where the suspension geometry, you know, every detail of it, I I went through and I made sure I knew what was going on with it. And, uh, just small detail stuff of, of camber changes, steering locks, and you know, little things that I believe in. Um, 
I just made sure they're all going the right direction because it's easy to sort of get a little bit blasé about it and, and, and allow it to happen because the guys you work with, you work with them and you let them get on with it. But this I wanted to know. I wanted to apply everything directly. And in the wind tunnel, I pushed pretty hard to get back to a car that aerodynamically I understood and the right reasons for the way the centre of pressure shifted around and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, we got there. And, and basically the first test we did was um, at a ref, I believe. Yeah, it was at a ref. Um, and Ralph was there driving the old car, the 96 car, um, and he was going around doing lap times. And I remember saying to him, you know, the new car, aerodynamically, we should be about one and a half seconds faster. Same fuel load type thing. And the new car came, and we were one and a half seconds faster almost immediately. And I remember Ralph's eyes lighting up. And it was quite strange because we had a bit of a problem with the exhaust pipes where they were pointing at the beam wing on the back of the car and it was the, the beam wing was overheating a bit so I spent the night uh, after the first day's testing rerouting the exhaust system and I mean to say I spent the night doing it I did it because well just welding up um, you know Inconel exhaust pipes uh, was not easy and I, I had done it before so I'd do it again um, so I had my hands and everything on the car really to be honest and it was it was a nice it was a good car we made a couple of bad decisions, I think, during pre-season testing where we decided not to sort of do our usual Jordan bit of, of trying to, um, you know, sort of get a lap time out of it and, um, you know, for the for the media, really. Uh, and we saved ourselves. And that sort of bit is, in the, bit is in the foot at the first couple of races. We never really got the best out of the car. So although the car was very good, the season didn't start as strongly as it should have done. Australia was actually the biggest deficit to the front you had all season and the race didn't go well. Ralph had a gearbox go early and Fizzy spun off. But it didn't take long to get it working well because in Argentina, although the car wasn't brilliant on qualifying pace relative to the front, it was possible you might have won had Ralph and Fizzy not collided. Yeah, it's always disappointing when your two um, you know, drivers both come together. But you know they were both young, they are both chargers, quite different drivers. Um, so yeah, you can look back there and, and, and sort of get a bit annoyed about it all because we could have won that race we could have had two guys on the podium even if it had been second and third you know there was a there was a good result in there somewhere um I think Ralph finished third I think in the end didn't he yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he survived Fizzy uh didn't didn't continue so we we you know we got a podium out of it but at the end of the day the podium might just have went to the wrong guy if there was one available but if both of them had tied themselves up they could probably have uh, both been on the podium but the thing, the interesting thing for me was after not performing well in Australia, we went to Silverstone, and we uh, decided we needed to um, do some qualifying um, performance runs, and it was amazing, really. The, the amount we got out of the car then, it just learning to get the balance of the car, the drivers learning to drive with the low fuel and, and good tires, and being in the pits as where the old pits, and the cops there and watching a. You know, a Formula One car you, you've designed, you've built, going in there absolutely flat out in seventh gear was quite quite impressive. Ralph was a left foot breaker, so he would be taking the speed out of the car a little bit with a left foot brake, and uh, Fizzy would be the normal driver lifting him and getting back back in the throttle. And those two things change the car quite a lot because you know if you're left foot braking, the thing is you're keeping the attitude of the car um, more stable. If you're lifting, taking a little bit of speed out of it. Um, you're, you're changing the attitude of the car and they're, they, underneath their dynamics become more critical. So it was quite an interesting thing to try and find a good balance between the, the way the two drivers wanted to drive with the car. And uh, it took some hard running 
in qualifying trim to get that. And you know, I think it, it proved in the rest of the season that it got a bit better. But it was the season, as you say, it was it was very inconsistent. We were we were good. Um, you know, if you can get below one percent of of the the big boys, as such as we call it. I think you've done a pretty decent job for a small team. I mean, we were still a small team at that point then. But um, once you get to there, then you sort of need to keep consistent. And we weren't weren't as good at that as we should have been. Fizzy and Ralph weren't so consistently together on the grid. It seemed they'd both nail it, but often at different times. Was that a question of style or is it a question of inexperience? So you expect a degree of hit and miss from both? Yeah, they they um, they were quite different drivers in the, in the way they, you know, they drove the car. Ralph was a very aggressive driver. He was really good on the brakes, wasn't he? When they were together at Williams, Juan Pablo Montoya used to say he couldn't brake as late as Ralph. No, Ralph was very good in the brakes, but he was very. He was also, as I've said many times, that Ralph, you know, was was Michael's brother. But I don't think that's an outrageous claim, Gary. <laughs> no, no, but the the problem was he tried to drive like Michael would drive. You know, Michael was a sort of maestro of this left foot braking stuff. And, and not just stopping the car with left foot braking, but trimming the car and changing the balance of the car mid-corner with the left foot braking. And, and a little, you know, Ralph would obviously talk to his brother. He would try to do the same sort of thing, but it, it, it just didn't have the finesse to, to trim the balance of the car by just applying the brakes, you know, uh, at the right time, lifting and playing, playing with the brake pedal and playing with the throttle pedal. You can just change the balance of the car. Ralph would be a bit too much of a gorilla. You know, a bit too abu- abusive with it. Whereas Fizzy was more of the conventional driver. You know, he'd brake with left foot, but he wouldn't use it in the middle of the corner. He would, he would work the throttle in the middle of the corner. Um, so very, very different in the way that he, you know, he he would want the, the balance of the car set up. And also after Argentina, the two of them were a little bit loggerheads with each other. Uh, they weren't, you know, didn't go down to the pub very often together. So it was difficult to get them to work together to try to go through a test program to get stuff you know to get things sorted out um because they just didn't trust each other and because they also drove differently you know you were you were two one car teams as opposed to a two car team and that makes things more difficult and that's why one of them would latch on and get a direction going and the other one would would struggle a little bit you know a lot of the times we should have been stronger and better at that but we weren't as a team um because we've you know been through the doldrums a little bit through the years, so we didn't really have confidence, I suppose, in ourselves. We were we were just reacting to the situation, and uh, uh, yeah, as you say, one would always get a reasonable result out of it. But it was it was one of those random random things where you would some strange reason for not qualifying well, and the car was very good in the race, or vice versa. And we never really got on top of that. And just before we sort of move move off the drivers, I guess they're both interesting cases, aren't they? Because Ralph has a bit of a, a a kind of bad reputation, almost, which I think is as as you suggested uh, before I made my flippant interjection. Yeah, he he was compared by others unfavorably to Michael, but you know, on his day, a very very good driver, a Grand Prix winner on merit. You know, genuinely operating in a, in a, at a high level for a long period of time. Fizzy was one of those guys who seemed to pull these brilliant performances out of the bag sometimes in in not front-running cars then when he was in a front-running car was a little bit underwhelming but also just a really good you know very sort of classical driver very classy in the way he, he did things how, how do you think we should sort of see those two drivers well i think i think ralph was as you say he was a very in his own right he was a very very good driver very strong aggressive you know was was yeah he was a guy that was hanging on the steering wheel pretty pretty tightly you know i i I classify that as, you know, white knuckle job. He always drove 
that with that type of attitude. Um, Fizzy was more of the fingertip type driver, bit more you know, delicate with everything. Um, liked to carry the speed and one thing or another. But Fizzy, Fizzy would because of that, Fizzy would sort of get broken down a bit easily. And I think whenever he got to you know good cars and cars where he should have won races in, um, that's where it fell down on him a little bit because when it was competitive. And an example of that is actually um, Germany, uh, which is one of our best races. We qualified, you know, um, second very, very well, led the race, and you know got beaten. Basically, end of the day, it didn't really matter because they had a tire, uh, got a tire um, puncture, um, and ripped the oil cooler of the car. But um, got beaten in, in a way by by Berger and the Benetton. And the problem was there that. Fizzy, when he was on his own, out the front, no problem whatsoever. When he started to look in the mirrors, he was beaten. Whenever there was competition around him, he paid too much attention to it instead of getting on with his own job. Perhaps we saw that at Hockenheim where Fizzy qualified second, then picked up the lead when Berger made his second stop. Berger had more pace, but was probably past Fizzy quicker than he should have been. Uh, yeah, it could have made it a bit harder. But you know what he needed to do was, was, was sort of, I suppose, keep the competition behind him for a little while. Until things settled down, where I, I think I'm, what I'm relating to here is through the other years when he was driving for, you know, in cars that should have won races, um, he seemed to have the same sort of problem. It, you know, if you're in close competition, you would 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 have that struggle. Whereas if you're on your own, you could go and do it. You know, no problem whatsoever. And it's one of those sort of situations. I remember in Austria, I think it was 2003. I'm not quite sure, but. Um, it might even have been 2002. We were running around like 14th or something. And oh yeah, it was. I think it was 2002. Whenever um, Takuma crashed, and we pitted during the crash, and, and you know got him back out again. And when it all sort of unfolded, Fizzy was up in fifth, and he and he ran fifth. But he was running around just 14th before that, going nowhere. And then we got got into fifth, and he just ran fifth. So you put him in a position, they could do the, they could get on with it, he could do it. But I think whenever like in Germany, with us 97. You know, it just it just got to that point where he was paying too much attention to what was coming out from behind, and not paying enough attention to what he was doing to try to counteract it and and get away from him again. Could he have done it? I don't know. Berger might have just been too quick for him. But you know, we were in a position at that point in time where we were running in an unknown position, really up at the front. Um, pretty exciting, really. Whenever you're doing that, and I can see the fun in it. But uh, then it didn't really matter, as I say. He ran over a, a bit of. Um, Jan Magnussen's engine that was lying on the on the straight, uh, or Conrad that went through his rear tire, so bit of a explosion with the tire and ripped the oil cooler and stuff off it. But I, I I think that Ralph, because of his aggression, wouldn't get himself in that situation. If he'd been there, he would have just muscled his way through it all somehow. You know, made it difficult for Berger, closed the door a few times, one thing or another. Whereas Fizzy wouldn't. Fizzy would just try to do it with speed. And uh, and that's why I think the two of them are quite different. You've suggested in the past that you suspect there's a chance had Rubens Barrichello still been with the team rather than moving to Stewart, he was a driver with the experience to win a race in that car. Plenty of races where the car was quick. Germany, Monaco, Monza and Spa too. So there were plenty of decent results when the car was on the pace. So do you think Rubens could have converted one of those? I think if, um, I think if Rubens and Fizzy had driven together in the team, they would have been very much the same style of driving. Um, they would have suited the, the car. Um, they would have no no criticism of Ralph, but just you know, the driver wise, Rubens and Fizzy are reasonably similar. And I think they would have helped each other. I think they'd have worked with each other. I think they would have, you know, um, 
been good teammates, and that, that would have helped the team very strongly. But you know, we had random stuff, as you say. That it wasn't. It wasn't so much the car was really good at these type of circuits. Um, it was just we lost our way in a few places. As you say, Monaco was very good, but uh, but then Hungary wasn't, and and Jerez at the end of the year wasn't really. But we we qualified within one percent ten times, and outside of that one percent um, seven times. But it was a random a random place. I mean, San Marino. Yes, it was at that time. It was a quick track, and you know all that sort of stuff. So the faster tracks, I suppose, were a little bit better. But Monaco sticks in there as being one of them that was um, that was very good. We were you know point four of a percent away. So I think that any of those races that were were, were competitive, you know, mainly crew French Grand Prix. 0.2% away from from fastest. So any of them who the car was good at, we would have had two drivers good at it, which would have been even better for us. And I think that if Rubens had been there with his experience, he would probably have pulled us together a little bit better with, um, with the races where we fell apart a bit, because we fell apart a bit because of an experience between the two drivers and lack of re- working relationship between the two drivers. So as I say, you're doing everything, you know, for both of them in different directions. But it's it's like beginning of the year, beginning of Jordan's career in 1991. Andrea de Cesar was very good at bringing his experience to us, and uh, you know, giving us the confidence in the direction we should be taking. And Rubens would have brought that with him with his experience, you know, prior to with his experience with us, but also his own experience prior to uh, Fizzy joining us as a more or less new boy. Um, so that would have for sure. The two drivers' driving styles would have matched each other, but it meant we could have focused on the car direction, development direction, all that sort of stuff. So I think it would have been a very positive team. Monaco is an interesting one, particularly had there been a dry race rather than wet. Fizzy ran second early on ahead of Rubens, who eventually finished in that position. The Stewart was on the Bridgestones, which were the better wet tyre that year than the Goodyear's. So perhaps if it had been dry, it might have been completely different. We, we made a very stupid mistake there, um, to be honest. Somebody within the team decided, <laughs> yeah. Somebody within the team decided not to take the extra stuff down the pits to to um, warm up the wet tires. Um, so this, the, our wet tires that we had there uh, to go in the car during the pit stop was was stone cold. So when Fuzzy went out of the pits, he had just nothing. He had just no grit whatsoever, and just they dropped back dramatically. I think if you look at it, you'll see he was in a reasonable shape until all that happened. It just turned out to be a disaster. So. Um, you know, just shot herself in the foot basically by trying to be uh, too clever. But there's always a re- there's always a reason. That's what I say. You know, if you go through all these races, there's a, there's a reason somewhere in there that. Uh, but it's it's not necessarily the reason that gives you the outcome. But there's a reason. How much did the car evolve over the year? The pace was there throughout the season, so clearly gains were made. Yeah, we 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 did do um, various bits of development, um, the side pod and the sort of. Um, I don't know, sort of letterbox area around the, the rear uh, cooling, um, exhaust cooling type thing. We used to call it a letterbox because it was more a T-shaped thing. Um, I think we did we did logical developments as the season went by. Uh, we didn't have huge budgets, but we did have a bit of pressure from Peugeot because, you know, obviously we, w- we would have liked or I would have liked Peugeot to have continued with us instead of changing to the, the Mugen Honda. Um, that, that that wasn't to be, but I was fighting that year to try to make it happen for us. Um, so there was developments going on, but not not probably as big, not as good as we should have done um, because of budget restrictions. To be honest, you know, we were we were, we were always hand hand to mouth with money, 
with uh, with Jordan because that's the way it was. We were a small team, um, so you could only do what you could do. But we did do. We had a, a side pod change. We had some front wing changes. I mean, it's it's a while ago now, so uh, twenty three years ago. So I've been asleep since then. <laughs> so the, the detail of the changes, but there are you know there was there was continual development going on in different areas to try to keep keep up with the with the guys. And you know we we I don't know if we worked from the back because Azuka we were point eight of a percent away from from pole. So that's the end of the season, and, and you know at the beginning of the season in Brazil, the second race we were one percent away from uh, from pole. So then San Marino, the fourth race, point nine of a percent, Monaco point four. So we 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 sort of topped and tailed it fairly consistently, to be honest. Um, so we must have kept doing something fairly decent uh, relative to the guys up front. We didn't close the gap down on them that much, but we um, we didn't get lost either. Do you still remember what sort of size and budget you're operating on? There, how many people and what, what, how much were you able to throw at the car? Um, to be honest, no, I, I don't. Um, the way we worked, really, to be honest, was we didn't have a development budget. If we found something in the wind tunnel, we'd go and try and justify it to to our accountant and to, to Eddie. Um, and this is what it should do. Um, and was that a big enough step? You know, we, we, we did do a, a little bit of a, an Excel sheet as performance relative to cost. So, you know, if we were going to find a tenth of a second, it was going to cost us a million pounds. No, we wouldn't do it. If we were going to find a tenth of a second it cost us, and it was costing us 10 grand, yes, we would do it. So, you know, we had a, a scale that we sort of bought into. Um, but again, it, 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 we, we, weren't a, we weren't a big team. I, I don't quite know how many people we would have been, to be honest, at that point in time. But I, w- I wouldn't have said we were a big team, man. I mean, manpower-wise. So whenever you're going racing and you're putting all your effort into going racing, you don't really have a massive amount of manpower left to actually do other stuff. You're just keeping on top of the, the bits and pieces that are going wrong on you as much as you can. Obviously, the, the aero team aren't involved in that, but there is just constant um, evolution to try to find different circuits, set up stuff, you know, getting ready for Monza, getting ready for Monaco, all the stuff that you're trying to do to make those, uh, to get optimize the car at those type of different tracks. So the aero, the aero group is working focused on that to begin with. And during that period, you have release dates to get the stuff ready for those typically different tracks. Um, and then in between that, you might have some release dates for, for some little bits and pieces. And let's say front wing end plates were something and side pods were something, barge boards were, you know, a little bit. Um, they were developing quite rapidly at that point in time, I think. Um, so there was things going on, but the budget wasn't huge and the manpower wasn't huge. Overall, Jordan ended up fifth in the constructors with 33 points. McLaren were fourth on 63. So you do wonder if with a fair wind and the perfect season, it might have been possible just to get into the top four. Then again, there's no reason a team of that size should have been up there. But it was a big step for the team, whatever. So what might have happened had you continued with the Peugeot engine for another season rather than it going to Prost, obviously part of this ill-fated French super team? Given what happened with the Mugen Honda in 1998, obviously taking that famous one-two in the Belgian Grand Prix, surely the potential with the Peugeot was greater. Obviously, that would have been great for us. The continuation would have been what we wanted to do, what I wanted to do. And to be honest, within within our technical department and and Peugeot technical department, that's what that's what they wanted to do. That's what we wanted to do. Uh, but it was the, the commercial side that became a bit more dramatic um, between Peugeot and and our commercial side. That you know there was a lack of um, cooperation there I think you might call it but yeah I mean we made mistakes in 98 it's nothing you can uh, again it was one of those things changing to the Mugen Honda engine took my eye off the ball a bit lost our way a little bit here and there lots of reasons but the um, 
you know, I think 97 to 98, with the Peugeot engine that the plan was, um, you know, we were, we were going to go forward by 20 horsepower, which would have been a, a big step. Um, instead, we went back by 50 horsepower or something. Um, but again, you know, Peugeot, there was, there was always a lot going on with them. There was always a lot of potential. But it seemed to get to the point, you know, where suddenly it would fall apart a little bit. And a couple of examples of that was, you know, we were pushing to get the engine lower in the chassis for for 97. Um, and everything was going great, you know, everything was going great till about three months before, two months before we were supposed to sort of start testing, I suppose. And then suddenly, they, you know, they couldn't do it. And we had to step backwards a bit. So you're you're always trying, you're sort of taking three steps, or two steps forward and three backwards a little bit with Peugeot. Never quite got to what they were achieve, trying to achieve, so they, I know the engine we we ran it once for the nineteen ninety eight car, um, just as a test, and uh, it was it was a step forward for sure. It wasn't architecturally different from the one we'd run in ninety seven. It just had a few little bits and pieces sorted out on it, and I think they were just about finding their feet. To be honest, from from ninety five, ninety six, and then ninety seven, I think they just got themselves to a point where they were confident in the direction they were trying to get in um, and they were more relaxed in the direction they were trying to get in and, and you need to be like that you know you can't just be constantly under pressure and not being able to relax and you know have good thoughts suppose you might call it um, so I think 98 could have been a good year but if we'd done the stuff that we'd done which was wrong um, you know with the changes in the regulations and stuff uh, then might not have been any good for anybody very hypothetical but even so 97 was the year that set jordan up for what was to follow eddie jordan even made a bit of money by selling fizzy on to benetton thanks to a two million buyout clause so i guess that at least proved the young driver policy worked well yeah i mean uh, eddie was willing and dating and all that sort of stuff and, and rightfully so you know he he took gambles he did things um he put deals together got stuff together i mean whatever you think coming into formula one in, in 1991 jordan grand prix um it was a big decision for Eddie to do that, you know. Um, I, as I said many times now, I never ever thought we would actually go racing. Um, so, you know, well done to Eddie for everything he did, and, and he, he earned his, his his money. He took his gambles, and he he definitely earned what he, he got out of it. Well, uh, thanks for your insight onto the 97 season, Gary. It's always good to revisit some of the, the years from the past. Do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads of stuff on there, including Gary Anderson's writings. Check out our YouTube channel as well and subscribe to our various podcasts, the Gary Anderson F1 show, the Race F1 podcast. We've got Bring Back V10s, which is a retro podcast looking at uh, similar era to this. Uh, in fact, if you look in our feed, we do have a special on the 97 Hungarian Grand Prix where Damon Hill famously almost won. Uh, so thanks very much, Gary Anderson. We'll be back next week with more insights.